Welcome everyone and thanks for tuning in to Process Potables, powered by Last Out Media. First in, last out. You can find us on all listening platforms as well as on Instagram and Twitch at Podcast Potables Network and on Twitter and Untapped at Process Potables. For news, blog posts, archived episodes, and info on breweries we've featured, go to www.processpotables.com. Process Potables is on tap. Cheers, everyone. What's going on, everybody? My name is Dan Morgan, your host here of Process Potables, and I am joined by my co-host, Steve. As usual, follow him at SWJones87 on Twitter. This is episode 75 of Process Potables titled, I'm Ready to Get Hurt Again. We just finished watching the Sixers' first preseason game of the 2020-2021 season against the Boston Celtics. A nice win to get the Sixers rounding in the shape and Steve I don't know about you but I I think it's uh I think it's overreaction time absolutely on my way over here I had a had the conversation with myself I'm like okay okay there's probably gonna be a lot of shit that I'm gonna see tonight that I'm not gonna like so but you know I just need to not overreact and now that we've watched the game together I am ready to overreact I'm ready to get hurt again um we're not drinking beer tonight but we are drinking imaginary glasses that are half full yeah, absolutely, and we have a special guest joining us at the very last minute, but we are very excited to have him back, a recurring guest, the co-host of the Garbage Into Gold podcast, our friend Brandon After Brandon, what is going on? Thanks for joining us tonight. I would take a bullet for Tyrese Maxey. Oh, we're already there. Okay, I love it. I love the energy. Uh I mean, we, we can jump right into it. Brandon, before we go, make sure, uh, let everybody know where they can find you on social media and check out your podcast and everything. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, I host a podcast with my friend Jesse Larch. It's called Garbage Into Gold. Uh, we're on Twitter at Garbage Into Gold. And um, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, or anything. I'm on Twitter at after 23 but my tweets are protected for whatever reason because protection matters. And this is my uh, plug for Trojan condoms. Uh, I was about to say, yeah, I'm not yeah. a. Uh, I know me and Steve aren't really protection uh, guys, but if I know yeah. you, I'll uh, if I know you, I'll accept you. If not, I will accept you anyway. So <laughs> give me a call. Great so, to be here. So make sure that you check out Garbage in the Gold and Brandon and Jesse bringing a lot of good Sixers insight and uh, good friends of ours. We try to hop on their pod. They hop on here. So we're going to get into tonight's game because I, I really just want to overreact to a win against the Celtics because it felt like last season every win against the Celtics really just made me believe in this team more and more. And then, of course, they disappoint the hell out of us and get swept out of the first round. Tonight they start the season doing this, well, the preseason doing the same thing, a 108-99 victory over the Celtics. And you know, going right from the jump here, I, I don't know if how interesting you guys found this or not, but the first look at, at what could be the actual starting five for the Sixers, which a lot of people have 
kind of wondered who the fifth person may be. I think a lot of people expected four of these guys, but you get Ben Simmons at the point guard, Seth Curry at the shooting guard, Danny Green, small forward, Tobias at the power forward, and Embiid at center. And, you know, you can argue the the position or positionless basketball, whatever you want to call it, but those are the five guys they trot out there. And I think the the big exclamation point there is Seth Curry, who many were wondering if he would be more in a sixth-man role, if maybe you might see a guy like Shake Milton or even a, a rookie like Matisse Thibel in that starting lineup to keep some shooting coming off the bench, but they decided to throw Seth into the starting lineup. Brandon, what, what were your initial thoughts when you saw the starting five that Doc Rivers put out there in his first game coaching the Philadelphia 76ers? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was the starting lineup that made the most sense because I think when they acquired Danny Green and Seth Curry, we all got flashbacks of the, the Dario, Rocco, J.J. Redick lineups, and that's just... As constructed, the what, what works the best around uh, Simmons and Embiid, and I think it was a little clunky to start because they've only practiced together for what seems like two and a half hours before the game. Um, but I think that's the lineup that we'll end up seeing for the majority of like the first chunk of the season. But um, my my prediction is that Seth Curry will eventually come off the bench. I'm not sure who is going to be in the starting lineup for him, but um, I, I think he'd eventually move to the bench, but uh, to to start things off, I thought they looked. Uh, they thought I, I thought they looked pretty good. Embiid looks so good. Uh, his conditioning looks great. Um, Danny Green is just like Rocco on defense. Uh, Simmons looked good on defense, and uh, yeah, Curry looked a little rusty. And uh, yeah, I mean, overall, I think it was a it was a good start. A little clunky, but definitely not Al Horford and Josh Richardson clunky. Oh, absolutely. There's there's no way we should be seeing anything reminiscent of that as far as just kind of general fit and kind of flow with this team, hopefully based on how these pieces should work together much more efficiently. Steve, any anything jump out at you from the starting lineup? I pretty much agree with uh, everything Brandon just said. I mean, this, this lineup, I'm surprised it was kind of – as debated as, you know, as much as it was, uh, because I'm looking at this, this is the lineup I thought that we would see from day one. And that's because, you know, new coach, new players, you're going to want vent, uh, vets in there like Curry and Green that are going to not need as much time to adjust as people because they've played on, you know, many different teams and coaches in the NBA. Uh, I could see that maybe as the year goes on, I think if anyone on the lineup, it's obviously Seth Curry that, you know, maybe comes off the bench. And that's not not necessarily because he's a poor lineup in the starting lineup or anything like that. But, you know, maybe someone like uh, Maxi or Thibel, maybe they kind of play their way into the starting lineup or even Shake Milton. Although as great as Shake uh, played off the bench, he, I think he's your ideal six man right now. So. Yeah, you both make a lot of good points. I want to address a couple of them. Uh, you both kind of mentioned Danny Green and Seth Curry in a way, and I think, Brandon, a, a good point by you as far as like this being the lineup. I, I could definitely see Seth Curry maybe being a guy that starts the game, but maybe he's not the guy that starts the second half and things like that and becomes more of a sixth man. But this is definitely their crunch time lineup, uh, I think, and these are you know pretty easily the five best players on the team, in my opinion. To the point of uh, talking about Rocco and, and J.J. Redick and, and harpening back to that, 
I definitely don't think Danny Green and Robert Covington are, are that similar. I, I get what you're saying. They're obviously that quote-unquote 3 and D that gets thrown around a little too much. But Danny Green, we saw a lot of things tonight. You know, he's more of a, a veteran and savvy defender where Rocco's long and athletic. And, Steve, me and you were watching. We saw uh, when Danny Green drew that foul against Tatum, and Tatum kind of shoved him off, and, and I said to you, it's nice to have a guy that can actually get that call yeah. because Tatum has earned getting away with a lot of those, and we've never really had the guy that has the rep on the other side to be able to get the call against a guy like Tatum for extending that arm and pushing off. So those are the types of things I think we're really going to learn to appreciate from Danny Green. There's a couple times that I saw him kind of flat-footed, especially with Tatum, which you know is understandable being that it's Jason Tatum. But a few of those times he ended up, recovering or being able to poke the ball out from behind, you know, real savvy, real veteran type moves. Like, okay, I know I can't stay in front of you. I'm not, you know, the athlete I once was or anything, but I'm still smart enough and I know what you're about to do and I can, you know, make my move at the right time. And he still had that timing, uh, broke up a lot of plays. He had four steals tonight uh, in only 12 minutes. So that's pretty crazy. Obviously preseason games. So we know the Celtics were a little sloppy and everything. And Steve, to your point, yeah, Seth Curry won't not start because of performance. And and like I kind of said earlier, I could definitely see him being like a super sub. But I, I like this lineup to start. I think if anything, like you said, you know, maybe you throw in a guy like Matisse or even Ferk or Shake or anybody like that just to move one of those guys to the bench or a second unit to kind of fill that out. But our second unit looked pretty good tonight. We saw Ferk on him and... Dwight Howard, I think, were the first two guys off the bench and both played pretty well. Furcon actually led the team in free throw attempts, gaining the line seven times, one more than Embiid. And I thought Furcon played pretty good defense. He went 0-3 from three, of course, and that's what you can't have him do. But I thought he defended pretty well. A lot of guys defended really well. Ben Simmons looked good. Tobias had a couple times matched up on Jason Tatum where he kind of locked him down, which was surprising. Just overall, I, I loved the defense and the energy the Sixers had. The shooting, not necessarily there, which could be a concern. They only go 7 of 29 from 3, but it's early. I'm not concerned about that. I think you have the right guys, and I loved what you got out of you know really the, the three biggest new names in Danny Green, Seth Curry, and Dwight Howard. Steve, what, were you, what was your reaction to Dwight Howard's performance tonight? Dwight Howard brought the uh, big bench energy tonight. It just seemed like as soon as he uh, came into the game, he he, he made an impact. Um, and it was almost surreal. I kind of had to pinch myself and like, like wow, we, we have a very uh, capable and adequate uh, backup center. Uh, it was really nice to see. I'm kind of surprised at this stage in his career he you know was able to go to the basket um, and just some savvy moves on the offensive end just – Making there's a play that sticks out where he kind of um, he had a really good timely rebound, and then like uh, Toby came in from the back door for a nice play, and I just see you know a, a lot of like things that just kind of come to fruition, and I, I was really excited. Yeah, he he, I don't think anyone's going to doubt you know um, us signing him now. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, our friend Dan uh, Dan's bad bad tweets said to us, watched him wear the jersey. <laughs> take the court and literally play for the team. And I'm still not convinced Dwight Howard is on my basketball team. It is very weird. And I think, again, to overreact to one game, but I think that this will hold true. I think Dwight Howard is a, a great get, especially for a matchup like Boston. They're really going to struggle 
with a guy like him who just camps under the rim because he's not going to get caught out by the arc like Embiid does sometimes, which kind of screws up the advantage he has against a team that tends to run small. He knows where to be all the time, and he gets up and down the court. He still has flashes of freakish athleticism, and he's going to protect the rim. He's going to rebound, and he's going to get easy attempts at the rim. Brandon, did you have any takeaways from seeing Dwight Howard's first game as a sixer? A future, future two-time NBA champion, Dwight Howard. Oh, he's going back. back. Let's go. I'm ready for it. Brandon's bringing <laughs> some energy tonight. Yeah, that's that's what I'm talking about. You were, but, you're the super uh, sub yeah, tonight. You know, I don't I don't want to repeat everything that Steve said, but I mean, I think I think Dwight Howard could low key be the best addition of the offseason. Don't get me wrong, Absolutely. Danny Green and Seth Curry are going to bring a lot, but. I mean, we've been through Rashawn Holmes, we've been, who's very like pretty good out in Sacramento now. We've been through Amir Johnson, and that whole time where people actually thought Amir Johnson was good, that was fun. And then <laughs> we went through Greg Monroe and Boban, and then Al Horford. Like we've been through so many less than ideal fits behind Embiid for, you know, somebody to come in and the floodgates not open. And Dwight Howard is the best backup that we've had for Embiid. Uh, he runs the pick and roll to perfection. The shake Dwight Howard pick and rolls uh, were very good tonight. They had that really, uh, really nice alley-oop. He also has really good court vision. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this, but there are a couple times where he was at the top of the key and then like just dart past it to, to Simmons in the post. Yeah. Uh, so it seems like he has a really good eye for where his teammates are going to be, and that's only going to get better. Uh, and I know you guys talked a little bit about defense, and I think it's worth mentioning. I mean, obviously, Dwight Howard might have played like a small part in this, but uh, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum, a combined six for 28 from the floor. So, I mean, that's what you want to see when you want to be a top five defensive team in the league. But love Dwight Howard, love what I saw from him in game one, and really love his energy on the bench. So I think uh, I think he's going to be really nice it's, moving it's, forward. It's just such a great luxury that that's no longer a question mark we have to worry about. When Embiid's not in the game, who's replacing him? It's, it's going to be really something to enjoy. And I just Until he back... develops like, thoracic outlet syndrome, yeah. which is bound to happen oh, because on, Philadelphia. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there, there's always that factor in uh, – rooting for a Philadelphia sports team. But I, I think it's kind of funny how just a few weeks ago, people were like, oh, let's get Nerlens Noel back. And I love, you know, Nerlens here and there, but he wasn't giving you that kind of production that Dwight gave you tonight. And again, I know we're overreacting. This is a preseason game, but come on. He doesn't have, you know, the things like this court vision or smart playmaking ability that Brandon uh, I gonna, indicated. I was going to say overreacting. I'm just going to come out and say Nerlens Noel is trash. He's not that good. Very overrated by Sixers fans, and I don't think he would have been good behind Embiid. Yeah, I'm honestly. I'm somewhere in the middle there. I was not on this Nerlens Noel nostalgia bandwagon. He he could have been fine, but I like the Dwight move so much more, mm -hmm. cheaper, a more veteran, and crazy to say this for how his career really was. But I think as of late, he he's earned the right to be called a mature presence and, and at least a decent locker room guy now, which definitely was not something you would have said a few years ago. And Brandon, when you're talking about court vision, I thought, and this goes back kind of to my point as well, as Dwight is just always where he needs to be positionally, is one thing I saw the Sixers do a lot of tonight, which one does speak to the Celtics playing small and also Tice being out, but something that I think that it 
appears that they definitely worked on a little bit and I think will help just because of the better chemistry and spacing is there was a lot of you know, penetration and driving, especially around the baseline and those little bounce passes when you're underneath instead of like wild kickouts resetting the play where you got a guy like Dwight or Joel, a real easy attempt at the rim or even Ben Simmons. And especially when you have a lot of big guys and it can get clunky down there, you need to be precise with your passing. You need to make those those little bounce passes at the baseline into a big who can pump and then slam it or draw a foul or things like that. And you saw a couple instances of that tonight. And I think that's something that was missing from the Sixers offense last season where they kept trying to do things where they you know would have both Horford and Embiid down around Dunker's spot or Ben Sims or things like that. It seemed much less cluttered tonight, and then that created a lot more opportunities for passing inside of the post and creating easy attempts at the rim, which was something that I loved to see. I will say in Kyle O'Quinn's defense that he was no. an excellent passer, sure. but that was it, and that <laughs> He and, was, and also, you know, he was never in inside garbage the key, time. though. He was oh, yeah, never was always inside the, the key. fucking key. Yeah. <laughs> he had an A-plus beard. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, okay, we'll give him the beard. Yeah. Let me, let me let me ask you guys this question. Please. Uh did you like what you saw uh in 16 minutes of 30 and 34 seconds out of preseason Dwight more than the 2025 minutes that you saw from Al Horford all of last season? If we're talking the first f- 5 games or so of Al Horford, then no. If we're talking about everything else, then yes, like by a million percent. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> However, I, I am going to need one Dwight Howard roar that just like completely shits on the Al Horford roar that we got last season. I just need oh, yeah. one at some point, and you know, hopefully, we'll get there. there there's, there's not, there's what's no like, gonna, you know, what's um, gonna be equivalent. What's going to be Dwight Howard's equivalent of the clap post layup? That's oh, what we really need to know. I we'll have to find out. I don't know. He's probably just going to like kick someone. <laughs> Or There's definitely going to be a game this season where he's thrown out for some kind of fight. I think I would bet money on that if I could. Hey, if he's our goon and that keeps Joel from getting, you know, hot-headed and thrown out of the game, I'm okay with it. So I have a question for you guys, kind of backpacking off of one that we got on Twitter. And it also brings me to something that I said to Steve while watching this game. So we were asked by uh, Kevin Mahoney on Twitter, what do we need to offer to get Namaja Bialika, who, if you remember, the Sixers actually had a deal in place with in the uh, summer of 2018, and he backed out, and everyone thought he was going to Europe, and then he signed with the Sacramento Kings. He's in the final year of his deal currently with Sacramento and would be a, a nice guy that can play the four, play the three a little bit. And I think if you're looking at the Sixers as kind of like a one through ten, like you were talking about two point guards, two shooting guards, et cetera, et cetera, the the two biggest weak links you would you would say are probably whoever is technically a backup point guard, as there isn't really a true one on the team, and then Mike Scott is the backup four, which Bialika could definitely serve that role. So I guess my question is one: Do you think the Sixers are going to need to make a move? to replace Mike Scott, or did you see anything from Mike Scott that leads you to believe that he may have somewhat of a bounce-back season as last year was definitely disappointing for him, had some injuries as well, played 14 minutes tonight, scored five points, two for four from the field, one of one from three. But, Steve, I had said to you because uh, there was the one play where Peyton Pritchard just kind of, like, owned him, 
<laughs> and I was like, if I'm Mike Scott, like I'm swinging on him right now. Like I'm not taking that disrespect from this miniature wannabe Gordon Hayward in a preseason game <laughs> when I'm a bigger veteran, a bigger guy, a veteran than him, and just a you know a fucking baller compared to him. Like I would have just knocked him out to send a message tonight. Uh, Brandon, I'll start with you. What, what were your thoughts on Mike Scott playing the night? And do you think that he might be at the top of the list of necessary upgrades for the Sixers to really contend? Yeah, I I didn't love what I saw, um, to be perfectly honest. You, you mentioned exactly what I was going to talk about, and I thought it was kind of hard to watch how he got like outbodied by some people. And he's not like a super thick guy, so I don't ever really expect him to necessarily out muscle but it just seemed like um i don't even know how to explain it i I, I just uh you know i'm not sure the player he is really fits into what they're trying to do because he just isn't the guy that he was when we first got him given this is one preseason game so we're overreacting so cut him please but (laughs) if we're serious like i i think it's too early to tell he's gonna get a lot of minutes in the preseason and i feel like because he's played for doc rivers before uh he's gonna get a chance to play himself in and out of the rotation Um, But I just don't really see any great like other options from him. Now, when it comes to, you know, trading for a guy like Bialica or however you pronounce his last name. um, Yeah, I don't really know what other options you have. You have Vincent Poirier, who, you know, probably isn't going to get minutes. Uh, You have their other second round pick who is probably not going to get minutes. So, I mean, you just might see points where. Um, you know, when Tobias isn't out there, Ben Simmons is like guarding that position. And then you just kind of go small uh, with the top three spots. But I mean, I didn't love what I saw. He did hit a three, uh, but I've always thought that he was kind of a, uh, you know, not a great defender and was just kind of a spark plug off the bench. So um, unless he can come in and just kind of hit a couple of threes here, here and there, I'm not sure like where his value is. Steve? Yeah, I, I certainly agree because tonight's game, like a, a lot of games I felt like of whether it was in the bubble or towards the end of last season, Mike Scott looked really well in certain spurts. But again, that's kind of at, you know, garbage time or, you know, you're playing, you know, the six through 10 on your depth chart at that point. And it seems like a lot of times when he's in uh, with starters or, you know, the, the better players of the team, he his play doesn't seem to, you know, rise to that kind of level of play with the rest of his team. And I just, I've seen, I've seen a lot of Mike Scott over the past year or so that I just don't like now, as far as what it's going to take to get a uh, or whatever his name is, uh, we're going to need to take his car keys and his passport. So he doesn't walk back on us again. I, I imagine the Kings are going to, you know, want a lot of picks and Mike Scott, is obviously ideal for a trade because of his, I mean, he has one year and about 5 million left, I think on a, yeah. so I mean, he, he's almost with any trade you're going to make a, uh, you know, especially at the deadline, he's going to be the first piece. So while I would like someone like him, I mean, we, I have the feeling we're just going to be stuck with him and just hope that come playoff time, he is the old version of Mike Scott that we all fell in love with. Yeah, I don't think Bielich is going to cost you that much. I mean, he's on an expiring deal as well, and it's the Kings. I mean, what are they really doing? Uh, I, I Maybe think, a couple 
seconds. I'd probably do it for a couple seconds. I don't know if I'd give up like many players if that. No, I don't. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it might just take Mike Scott and a, and a second or something. I really don't think there's going to be that much value for him. I mean, we'll see how the season plays out. Maybe he plays his value up. But right now, if you're talking about him just on a rental, I don't think it costs you that much. So I don't care about the move that much. I'm not sure. At the end of the day, when you're talking about the, especially the playoff rotation, you know, what do you think a backup four is going to get? Especially when you have Tobias, who can play like 36 minutes a game pretty easily, and you can always use Ben there as well and just get some guards more time like that. If you can get Ben more minutes there, then that gives you more opportunity for guys like Seth Curry and Shake Milton and Matisse Stiebel and potentially like Tyrese Maxey or, or even Justin Anderson. I mean, if you're talking about would you rather get more minutes out of Seth Curry or Bielitsa, I think it's Seth Curry. Yeah. So I, I think it's not so much as, you know, who do we put in a backup for and more what do our rotations look like and who are we trying to find more opportunities for? And I think that there's enough depth on this team, hopefully, you know, if, if everybody plays to at least the expectation that we have for them, that that they can be okay. And we know Mike Scott does have a history of kind of showing up a little bit better in the playoffs. And I agree with Brandon. I, I think to your point, maybe uh, a, a way I would phrase it is when he showed up, I mean, he was definitely the tough guy that we had. And he's not like a big guy, but he's not small either. And he was definitely more physical early on in his time with th- this team. And it seems like he has kind of lighten up a little bit. And I don't know if that's injury or aging a little bit or, or maybe a combination of both or whatnot, but you know, you weren't used to seeing him really get, get bullied. You were, you were used to him holding his ground at least uh, against most guys around his size. And, and that doesn't necessarily seem to be the case anymore. And even with guys that he has a size advantage against. And it was interesting because I saw, uh, our friend Kevin McCormick report that Doc Rivers said that Mike Scott had had a, a quote, phenomenal training camp. And I, like, I really enjoyed seeing that. Obviously, I think while we're sitting here discussing the downfalls of Mike Scott, that we all do like him. We've enjoyed his time here. He's obviously a fan favorite with the hive and everything. And he, he's had a lot of big successful moments for this team, but for you know the the second half of his sixer stint, I would say he, he has been pretty underwhelming. So Bielisa is a guy that could be an upgrade, but I also think that you know maybe the importance of that position is is a little bit overstated, especially with a guy like Ben Simmons, who you know you can say is the point guard, but can definitely be a four as well. And Tobias being a guy you can rely on for. One being available and two playing heavy minutes, so I don't know if it's uh, too big of a concern for me. I, I kind of want to go back to Seth Curry a little bit, just because the one thing that I really enjoyed, and this also has to do with Joel Embiid, who maybe we can we can move to next. But uh, again, Brandon, you kind of brought up JJ Redick, and I loved seeing if there's one thing that I saw early in this game that was very very. Uh, promising was the relationship between Embiid and Seth Curry. It looked like they had a really good rapport. You saw them kind of doing some of the J.J. Redick action that they had. The difference being that obviously Seth Curry is not J.J. Redick as far as how he moves without the ball 
and, and how many screens they're going to run him through and things like that. But the difference is Seth Curry has a handle. And Seth Curry can actually, you know, dribble, penetrate a little bit, pull up in the mid-range. A lot of those things that J.J. Redick didn't really do. J.J. was pretty much like, okay, I'm going to get this ball, and I'm shooting a three. And it doesn't matter if I'm moving sideways, moving backwards, leaning in. Like, I'm shooting this three. And it was really awesome to see early that Seth seemed to play really well with Embiid. You know, running a little bit of pick and roll type stuff, using the uh, dribble handoff type stuff, and he was getting different looks. He shot a couple threes, but shot some mid range, took some drives. So I thought that was very promising, and it, it made Embiid look really good. You saw him rolling to the rim a little bit, and as far as his like conditioning, it was good to just see him moving up and down the court. He was getting down and getting his post position. He did take four threes and, and missed all four of them, but I didn't think that many of them were him just being lazy and not going in because there were one or two that came from them posting Ben up and it almost seemed by design that Ben was the guy down there instead of Embiid. So it was promising to see that at least it seemed like it was almost planned that like, hey, on this possession, we're going to run Embiid just to the top of the arc and you know this will be an opportunity for Ben to play down low instead of Embiid. So I think that's a good solution not only to save a little bit on Joel, but also to maybe put Ben Simmons in some prime scoring positions uh, Brandon, what did you think about Embiid and especially watching him in the uh, beginning of the game playing with Seth? Um, I mean, I love the the dribble handoff coming back, like you mentioned before. Curry doesn't quite move like JJ does. Um, and I think Curry just looked like a little rusty. Uh, it's going to take a little while for them to kind of figure out where, uh, you know, Embiid figure out where Seth likes to get the ball and vice versa as to, you know, where Embiid will set the picks. Um, with regard to Embiid's three point shooting, I think a lot of people were overreacting, you know, he shot four threes and I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, I think, uh, when he wasn't getting the ball to shoot it, when Ben was in the post, like, I I feel like nobody was really moving around. So they got into a couple of those sets where they, you know, just kind of pass it to one another at the top of the key and then, you know, nothing's getting initiated. And that happened, I think a a little too much uh, for my liking earlier in the game. So I feel like at some points he just felt like he had to do it because nothing else was happening. And that's again, uh, probably victim of them not having much time to practice together or anything. But I mean, he looked very dominant. He, his conditioning looked great. He looked to run the court really well. And uh, he's still fooling people with the, the with the swim move too, so uh, six of six from the line, um, yeah, oh a four from three. You know I'm not too worried about that or anything. Um, and yeah, I mean I think defensively, just his presence is is plenty there. But if his conditioning is good, he can outbody guys like Robert Williams. Uh, I would have I obviously want to see him against guys like Daniel Tice before I make like a bold prediction, but. I mean, he looked uh, he looked really good and really agile, and uh, he, he he was in there for a while in the first quarter. I think his first run was was until like just below the four minute mark. So yeah. uh, I was impressed, and I thought the the two man game with him and Seth, Seth Curry was promising. Uh, and there's only more that'll come from that. And uh, I did see him and Ben run a couple of picks pick and rolls uh they didn't really result in anything but it was nice to see them uh try and run that two-man game too steve yeah it's it was a uh, really encouraging and exciting to see the dribble handoff because mb just has such great history with jj and dude i just had a really high success rate and 
last year between the, with uh, Tobias playing the th- you know the three and then you know Josh Richardson like that that never really materialized at all and just in one preseason game with virtually little to no practice or anything like that just to see Curry coming out the gate with that kind of chemistry with Joel was really encouraging and I I, I I've don't even think this is really an overreaction. It's just it, it was great to see. And, I mean, if we'd never see it again, then that's one thing. But I, I highly doubt that. Yeah, I'm hoping that, especially regarding Joel, Joel in the post, and, again, I talked about a lot of the things I saw in their post-offense tonight. I'm hoping that maybe having a guy like Dwight Howard is just going to help, you know, reinforce into Embiid what he can do being dominant in the post. And I know Daniel Tice has, has historically played pretty well against Joel Embiid, but at the same time, I think we can all agree that Tice is the kind of guy Embiid should dominate. He's really shouldn't be a guy that gives him trouble. You know, Tice has given him trouble before cancer has matched up with him pretty well. Uh, you know, Steven Adams is those real, like just guys that are, are pests, so to speak. And, and use their size and, you know, a, a Marcus Gasol and a Jonas Valanciunas, guys like that, that ha- have always given him trouble that, that really just shouldn't necessarily, especially at this point. I'm hoping this is the season that we really stop having to talk about Joel Embiid having these clunkers against centers that should not have his number. And, again, we've all talked about the conditioning. If the conditioning is there, I think that's going to be one of the biggest factors. It's just the fact that if he's not showing up to games completely – gassed and he's able to really go out there and get up and down the court then you know we saw a lot of flashes of him we saw that one uh pass he got from ben where he goes in and gets the finger roll like that was one of the you know most agile things i've seen him do maybe since the windmill dunk against toronto in the playoffs two years ago (laughs) like i'm not sure i saw that kind of agility from him all of last season and we saw early on they were generating a lot of turnovers against the Celtics and we saw him actually running out in transition a little bit Uh, I think there was one where he was actually carrying it up the floor and he got the assist to Tobias on the break so there there was a lot to be encouraged with Joel Embiid and we're we're getting really excited about all the guys around him but I, I don't think any of us would argue that this thing is still only going as far as Joel Embiid carries it so uh, a good start for him tonight. Brandon, you mentioned him going 6-6 six of six on the line, which, again, we know he's going to get his attempts and uh, knocking them down and just being able to draw them in, in such limited time as well. Uh, I, I think it was uh, each stint was a, a little over eight minutes, so he looked good, no issues there, got the whole second half off and, and no trouble there. A, a guy that I have been pretty... I don't know the word. I try to be a realist on it. I don't want to say that I'm a pessimist about it, but I'm sure many people could say that. And I wouldn't really be able to argue with you based on on things that I've I've said on here and things that I've tweeted and whatnot. But, you know, Matisse Seibel continues to be a name that people were projecting into starting lineups that people are some are deeming untouchable in trades and whatnot. Was there any surprise to you, Steve, that he only played 10 minutes tonight with, with a lot of guys getting significantly more playing time, namely like a Tyrese Maxey, even Mike Scott playing more time? But Steibel barely hits the 10-minute mark. He doesn't score. He doesn't have a steal or a block. He he, he really doesn't contribute to this game at all. I think he had two fouls. That was his contribution. Yeah, like that. <laughs> yeah. that's pretty much it was a, a turnover, two fouls, and a rebound. And a, and a missed field goal. So 
you know, you know, a, a rookie com- coming off his first season, a lot of guys make that jump in year two. Is this just a preseason game and, and we should glance over it? Or, or do you think there's any concern that, you know, Matisse Seibel may not be making the jump in year two that I think a lot of people maybe are just projecting him to do so without really any evidence that, that it should or will happen? Yeah, I, I know we're pretty much on the same page as far as Matisse goes. And and I know we there's always a talk with the sophomore slump, but it almost feels like he started his sophomore slump a couple months early, you know, t- towards the end of last season. And it's it's pretty telling to me that, again, yes, preseason, we're overreacting, we're in a great mood, but your brand-new you know, first-round pick and Maxie getting all those minutes, and not did he only get minutes, he looked fucking good, man. He was like, aggressive. That, you're, I want to get like, to oh him. Oh, my God. But, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. But uh, Matisse, who showed flashes of – playmaking ability, especially on defense. There's just didn't really have the opportunity. And it's interesting because, you know, Doc Rivers, I mean, he doesn't really owe anyone anything at, you know, since he's the, uh, you know, new coach, new sheriff in town. And I know Brett at times was uh, loyal to uh, Matisse, but I think he just, you know, maybe he's just not as high on Matisse as everyone else and just seeing who did play and who got more minutes was, um, if anything, it was definitely a little telling. Brandon, what are your thoughts on Matisse only playing 10 minutes tonight? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what he looked like in camp, but, um, maybe he's still not fully recovered from his, uh, leg injury. I think it was his ankle injury that caused him to miss a couple of days. So maybe it was, he was kind of like a step or two behind. Don't like the new haircut. So maybe that's also a thing. But um, my my guess, I mean, I'm going to just pencil it up to rust and, and recovering from injury. But he looked about as bad as he could possibly look. He was that Matisse Thibel, uh that was benched by Brett Brown last season for making those kind of erratic decisions to try and get steals that were never going to happen. He, he, uh, you know, made some not so great decisions that ended up in him fouling guys just overall didn't, didn't look great. I think his coverage was fine on the defensive end, but I I feel like he's kind of pigeonholed into this defensive specialist role and we didn't see him excel in that even slightly tonight. And I'm not like overly concerned, but um, you know, since this is the overreaction pod, I I am a little bit more concerned that I let on uh, that if he doesn't kind of show out in the first seven or eight games, like it could spell him just riding the bench for, you know, a guy like Tyrese Maxey getting more minutes, which is fine. Furkan getting more minutes. Shake Milton getting more minutes. Um, but I, I'm not really sure what to make of of his play tonight. It wasn't good. And I, I just hope that it was a one-time thing because we all love Matisse. But, uh, you know, if he can't defend consistently and uh, hit a three here and there, then I'm not sure... I'm not sure what to do. Hopefully not another Sixers first round dud. Thank you for mentioning Furkan Korkmaz in there. My brand really <laughs> appreciates that. Uh, I agree with everything you guys said. I think we're all pretty much on the same page with Matisse. I, I am willing to chalk this up to, to 
being the preseason and not making too big a deal of it. Although, you know, I'm trying to do that with everything else, but I do hope Matisse can, can find his role and, and make a, a step up in his game and really thrive here, obviously for the, for the betterment of him and this team. But I'm definitely concerned. I was concerned last season, Steve, you made a great point because last season you could break it in the two. Uh, a lot of people talked about that, especially with a guy like Matisse kind of hitting that rookie wall and that time off almost being like an off season, but then, you know, not really restarting like a new season. So this is all a very strange time. But I feel like somebody who hasn't been in the league that long, if anything, should kind of have an advantage not getting the same ramp up time as you're used to because they haven't been in that routine as much. And especially a guy like Matisse, he's in crazy good shape. He's a, he's a freakish athlete, and you would you would hope that. You know, even with some minor, minor injuries. I mean, obviously he was available and they played him, so nothing that should be of any alarm to this team that, you know, he should be able to go out there and maybe, especially in a game like this against lesser opponents and and people that are rusty, you know, maybe even pop off a little bit. And it was definitely the opposite of that for him. It makes me worry if he's going to be able to do anything like that when everybody is back in a rhythm, everybody is on schedule, and it's only the, the best of the best as far as competition. The Dan, the, I have some mildly breaking news. It's okay. not mildly. It's like very medium rare, maybe okay. rare breaking news. Uh, but the Sixers just posted uh, their post-game locker room thing as they did after wins last year, and there is no more Bell. Oh, really? You know, I no mean, more, that, that okay. definitely felt like a Brett thing. thing that they bring back, but there's no more Bell in the locker room. I'm fine without the bell. I just hope that Doc has something. It doesn't have to be the bell. But I think that was a fun thing for them. And especially like when it was really about winning. Like I always think it's a really good thing to have a, a, a team kind of symbol for winning and stuff like that. Uh, the bell may have, may have definitely been a Brett thing. Maybe out of respect to him, they're not doing that. So I, I do appreciate that as a guy who was... Sixers Twitter pretty, already not happy about it. Ooh, so. interesting. Fine. But they also weren't happy about Brett Brown. So, I mean, you really, you know, you wanted him gone. This is what you get, if you ask me. But Yep. The the last guy for the Sixers I really want to talk about is obviously Tyrese Maxey, who we, we got a little ahead of ourselves, but you kind of can't help it with what you saw from him. Matisse did, did come on the scene last year with a lot of energy and everything, but let's really call it what it is. We haven't seen a sixer come out like this and attack, especially offensively. Uh, I, I don't know when. I, I guess Embiid, you would say? Like, when was the last time that a sixer actually came in and, and looked like they wanted to score, they could score, they were willing to attack the rim, shoot, do, do everything, and did not seem overwhelmed or out of place or like they had any kind of weird hitch or fear or phobia or allergy or anything. I mean, the kid just came in and did exactly what you kind of expected from him. Try to be a playmaker, try to create and and be aggressive. And he did all those things in 12 minutes, went four of six for eight points, um, had three assists as well, which is very impressive, especially for a rookie and, and a guy who's not really a, a primary uh, facilitator or ball handler. Uh, I don't really think that you could have asked for more from a guy like this in his debut. Uh, Steve, we're overreacting. Please overreact uh, about Tyrese Maxey or tell me why I shouldn't be. Oh, I'm overreacting hard, baby, yes. right here. I 
if we had to go back, like, is it like Lou Williams, like rookie season, like just a guy, like a young guy coming off the bench with no fear, attacking the basket, taking shots. I, that's got to be the last time. Well, uh, Isaiah Cannon definitely had no fear. Yeah, I thought about that, but I just <laughs> I couldn't help. I couldn't. Not drafted by us, but, but. yeah, that's that's true. But you know, I it, it's exciting, and again with Daryl Moore, we, we kept saying this, the moves he makes are just making sense. Like this is a need we've needed for a long time, and just to see this young kid come out and just going balls to the walls, getting baskets, making shots. I it, it's exciting, man, and I just. I really hope it's not a case of him just getting hot and then maybe uh, hitting a wall like Matisse did. But he's he uh, he's already a fan favorite. I thought you were going to say balls deep, and I was about to get really uncomfortable. But you were apparently way yeah. more professional and uh, well spoken than than I intend expected you to be. Yeah. Nor where my gutter brain was. So. That's fair. It's our preseason too. <laughs> yeah, good, good on you. So, <laughs> um, Brandon, before I get to you, another interesting quote uh, I, I saw about Tyrese Maxey again from our friend Kevin McCormick was that uh, I think this was yesterday. Mike Scott said that Tyrese Maxey was the MVP of their practice. So it seems like you know he's not only did he perform well tonight, but it seems like he's been showing a lot of these flashes in in their scrimmages, in their practices, and, and that you know vets and teammates alike are all noticing that this kid has shown up to play. What were your thoughts on Tyrese Maxey tonight? Well, as I mentioned at the beginning in my introductory statement, I would take a bullet for a Tyrese Maxey. Yes, it did, did not take that. much. <laughs> it did not take much. Um, he was asked during his postgame presser tonight on what it was like to miss the beginning of tra- training camp, and he said it's a minor setback for a major comeback. Oh. Like, how can you not love this kid already? That's like a movie uh, and trailer. He asked yeah. what kind of pace he likes playing at, and he's just like, I make my own pace. Like, this kid... I mean, I'm just like, it's probably a terrible comparison, but it's just like, isn't this what we wanted Markel Fultz to do? Yes. Yes. Like, isn't this what we mm-hmm. wanted him to be? Somebody who's not afraid to attack the basket. He he needs to be the backup point guard by the middle of the season. Like, there's, there's, okay. I, Shake yep. Milton can be the, the sixth man and, and shoot, like, he can shoot. But Tyrese Maxey needs to be the primary ball handler for some, some, semblance of a second unit because I, I mean it's just he had the energies there uh the floater is just filthy dirty sick and filthy dirty sick make a, make that a shirt i'd wear it. <laughs> quote, that. quote that um but yeah i mean i just love what i saw from him i wish we got to see him a little bit more with the guys that mattered no offense to furcon i know he matters to me uh but uh i i mean i i, I really liked it i think um It'll be interesting to see what his comfort level is shooting from beyond the arc. Uh, but it looks like he has plenty of confidence coming off the picks, handling off the picks. And um, I mentioned this comparison in uh, when when he was drafted. And he's not like, I don't know if it's a great comparison. A lot of people called him a combo guard. But I feel like he has a lot of the characteristics uh, with regard to his skill set. Uh, of what Jimmy Butler does. Uh, you know, he's a very active defender. Uh, he's on ball. He can create his own shot and get to the rim and finish at the rim. So I think over the next couple of years, obviously, I hope he bulks up and everything. But he has he has that skill set to have like that burst that we saw Fultz have from time to time. And we see it in Orlando 
from time to time, but also be able to break some guys down with, with good ball handle, handling like a, a Jimmy Butler-esque player. Uh, so I was very, very happy with what I saw from him tonight. And, I mean, not to sound creepy, he's just, he's just straight up adorable. He's adorable. <laughs> okay. So, um, so this is kind of a, a combined question i guess on topic this is the last thing i have and then if you guys have anything else by all means and and we'll get this wrapped up so looking at team futures on DraftKings, uh, obviously because of covid i think this is actually really smart uh they're not doing over unders for wins like we would normally see because who knows how many games will actually get played so instead you're actually your over unders are team winning percentage and the over under for the Sixers is fifty eight and a half. Which, if my math is right, if they're playing, they're playing seventy four games. Uh, seventy two. Right? Well, yeah. Oh, seventy two. Sorry. All right. Then let me redo this. My fault. So, if my math is correct, then I think that means they go forty two and thirty. So, let's say we'll set the over under at forty two and a half. Do you think that this team is over under forty two and a half? And I'm gonna. Pre, uh, qualify that with do you think they can do that with their top eight and you know you kind of figure you know deeper into the playoffs that's generally around where you see a lineup shrink to tonight their top eight was Danny Green, Tobias Harris, Joel, Seth Curry, Ben Simmons, Shake, Furkan, and Dwight Howard. Do you think that t- that top eight and you know take the role players in but th- those are your main eight that they can go over or under 42 and a half and that they can, you know, at least make noise in a second-round series. Steve, we'll start with you. So let me preface this by saying I am not a betting man, but if I were, I would go the under, but it's only because it's going to be just under. Like, it'll be 40-41 wins. Okay. Um, and, and the only reason I come to that conclusion is because the bottom part of that top eight lineup, you know, could – I do have some concerns going into uh, the playoffs, especially uh, the deeper you go. Um, so that's kind of why I'm at just under 42 and a half. Well, you're, you're making two points there, though. You're talking about the playoffs, so, but we're talking about regular season wins. So you got to kind of. Uh, true. <laughs> uh, and, and, and part of it, too, is, you know, throughout the regular season, it's it's going to be weird with uh, COVID. Who, who knows what's going to happen? And if I'm not mistaken, didn't they only announce, like, the first half of the season or something like that or the way they were breaking it up? I don't, I don't even know. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, a lot can change. There's, I'm sure there's bound to be back-to-backs. And... I, think, I think they said something, I think on the pregame tonight, I heard them say, I think the Sixers would have like 17 games in January and 15 yeah. in February. So you're, you're pretty much playing every other night. Like there's no, there's not really going to be much time for practices. There's going to be very few, uh, you know, additional days of rest. It's going to be play, rest, play, rest, play, rest, so on and so forth for for at least like a good two months straight. And that's assuming they can even play right. all those games, which is far from a given. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, the, the regular season just, can, you know, we joked about in the past, how a team like the bucks are a regular season team. And I know we kind of, uh, you know, died on this hill last year, but with a new coach, some new guys, I think it's just going to take almost the entirety of the regular season just to become a really strong, cohesive unit with, with, 
uh, developing the chemistry and then, you know, maybe uh, making some noise in the playoffs. So. Brandon? You know me, Dan. You've called me a lot of things throughout our friendship. That's true. Uh, one of them uh, has – most of them have to do with the connotation of me being a negative Nancy. So – uh, Steve, I was hoping you'd go the over because I'm also going to go with the under. I don't think it's going to be under by that much. This is a tough one. Yeah, I'm going to go under. I think they end up winning 39 or 40 games uh, just because, you know, this team has seen so much turnover. And I, uh, I just think that it's going to take a little longer to gel than we believe. You, we mentioned the back-to-backs. I'm sure Embiid is going to sit some of them. Uh, if we had to predict so uh, b- between like the injury history of you know, Philadelphia sports luck and everything uh, and uh, seeing how things have gone here in the city, uh, I-, I think they'll be under just slightly. But the thing is, is that if I go over, I'm I'm saying that they could like if they don't win 38 games, they're going to win like 48 games. So if they if they if they don't hit the under by like just a little bit, I feel like they're gonna hit the over like big time. So I'm kind of cut in the middle. You know, sports betting is illegal here in Georgia. So uh, okay. I mean, I don't really. You probably know shouldn't even talk what, about it then. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to get yeah. you you, uh, you ratted out here. This is the opinions, <laughs> not me. So you guys both make great points. I think the interesting thing as far as if we're just talking about it kind of in a betting sense and again the fact that it's going to winning percentage is the other side to look at is if you true and this is like kind of meta i guess but if you truly believe that they may not play that many games for a number of reasons the less games they play i think benefits the sixers a lot more than other teams because of things like joel Embiid needing to sit a few or missing some with injury, maybe even Ben Simmons, you know, if he has any nagging issues with that knee, that would need time. So if you told me they're going to play all 72, then I probably am pretty, I'm, I'm right on the fence, and I guess if I was putting the money down, I would put it on the under. But if I'm also contemplating the fact that maybe they only play like 60, then I kind of think I would hammer the over if I knew they were playing a few less just because I think that might help them not need to have guys miss time. The thing that troubles me about this team, even in their best-case scenario, which I think is kind of what you're getting at, Brandon, is there's definitely a very real probability that they crush this number if everything goes right. We, we, we saw what happened tonight, and we know the fit is good, and we've been discussing all the reasons why it wouldn't. But if the stars align, I mean, this team could go absolutely nuts because a lot of things make sense, as we've talked about. So they could crush that number. It seems unlikely that they uh, fall short of it significantly. If they're going to fall short, it'll be close. But the, the scary thing for this team for me, and I got thinking about this because uh, our friend John Barchard, you know, I, I think it's kind of a joke, but it is a real question. You know, how are they going to slash can they screw this up? <laughs> and my thought was like, yes, they obviously are because they're the Sixers and they definitely can. And the scariest part for this team is all things considered, this is, again, like the, the fourth time in four years that this team is ridiculous ridiculously different going in to a season and every other season that's been our excuse is oh this team hasn't had time to gel they're they're gonna have to learn how to play with each other and 
by all accounts, this is going to be the hardest one to do that. You had no offseason. Some of these guys were signed or drafted in the last like 30 to 45 days, and they were, they've only been in town, a lot of these guys, for you know 10 to 14 days to even get started. So all the other seasons, we've complained about them needing to find chemistry and figure things out. This is going to be the worst example of it all, and I think you saw that, especially in a lot of the offensive numbers tonight where really outside of Joel Embiid, you know, getting to the line and doing his thing, there's a lot of clunkiness. Uh, it's very ugly and sloppy, as Brandon mentioned. And, you know, it just wasn't all that fluent. And I think it'll be a lot easier based on the personnel for them to get the defense to at least, you know, above league average. They definitely have the potential to be a top defense, and I think that may come before the offense. But it's going to be ugly, and they may come out of the gate a little slow. And you may see, especially with a guy like Maury, who we obviously trust and has made all the right moves so far, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw him move early. And, you know, we talked about weak links, uh, Mike Scott being up there. And I, I will say, unfortunately, you know, Furkan Korkmaz is maybe one of those guys. Obviously, Doc seemed to trust him tonight, bring him off the bench first. But if they're looking at guys they can upgrade, I mean, those are two of, of the biggest ones where you get a bench small forward that can defend and maybe shoots a little more consistently. You get a backup four that can actually play some defense and still maybe hit a shot. I mean, those, those are things that they're going to need. And again, maybe they don't want to wait to the deadline to to do that because you, you need to get this chemistry thing, thing figured out because it, it's getting old having to complain about that all season and that being the excuse for yes. these guys that, that you just can't get a consistent team in here that gets to grow and figure it out together. And, and I think that's my biggest fear for them is that it, it's yet another season where we're saying, well, yeah, you know, these guys – had a week of training camp and they have no off days to practice. So how, how are they ever going to figure out a, a fluid offense? And, and that's a very real concern for me. So I, th I think we're all probably right that the, the move would definitely be the under, I mean, I'm, I'm not betting it, but I think between the COVID stuff, the chemistry guys missing games and stuff, I, I think it is pretty hard to realistically expect this team to, to win more than fifty, you know, more than fifty-eight percent of their games. I mean, fifty-eight percent isn't anything to, to you know, to scoff at, and it should put them in the playoffs. Uh, you know, where that is, I don't know, uh, especially with the Giannis news today. Yeah. Uh, um, <clears throat> sorry, something in my throat. Um, yeah, I was gonna say my, the only thing that I would say other than thigh bowl that concerned me tonight. And a lot of people that are listening to this might not like it, but I, what like 75% of Philadelphia is, uh, with regard to criticism of Carson Wentz, that's me when it comes to Ben Simmons. And after, look, I didn't buy any of like the workout videos or any of the footage that he showed during the off season, because that's just stupid. But I, I guess like I went into the game thinking that I would see something different and I just didn't. I, yeah, I wasn't expecting him to like uh, start shooting threes or anything like that. Like I'm not crazy, but there was a couple of times where he received the ball and did that thing where he drives into the lane, jumps, turns around and then like passes it out. So I feel like when he was on the floor with the other shooters, the, uh, like his vision just wasn't quite there yet. 
And I, I guess like, I'm not concerned or anything, but I need, like, I need to see more from him. I know it's preseason game one, but the Sixers will go as he and Joel goes. And we saw Joel look somewhat like old Joel tonight, but I feel like I haven't seen, you know, the sleek passing court vision, Ben Simmons in a while. And I need, like, I need to see that. And unfortunately didn't tonight. The only good thing from him, uh, he was four for five from the line. Yeah. Those so really I think nice. a little more aggressive as the game went along, but we need to start seeing him do that earlier in games. Otherwise, you know, uh, I just, I just need to see some steps made in his offensive game because he's an elite defender and we all know that, but if we're going to be hard on a guy like Carson Wentz, who we all believed on in so much, we need to stop handing. We need, we need to stop handling Ben Simmons with kid gloves, even though he's only 24. Mm. That's very fair. I mean, I think people are definitely, I mean, he's definitely received plenty of criticism as well, but there is a lot of coddling for him too. So I can see that. I do think for what it's worth, I mean, I thought it was interesting because Ben is still obviously coming off the injury and everything, and Doc Rivers said that him and Joel would both have minutes caps tonight, but there wasn't a set number. Ben played the most minutes of anybody, which is is interesting. And he, he didn't do all that much, but the fact that he just looked you know, fluid and, and fast and everything like that is, is enough for me from this game. I, I fully expect that coming off the injury and coming off a disappointing year that once once everything counts I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt for now that you know we'll see a lot of those things come the regular season and then obviously if we don't early on then I definitely think there's there's cause for concern but uh as far as much as I'm willing to overreact tonight I think Ben Simmons is the one guy that I will give some benefit to and, and give him a couple yeah. days of the season the Same, uh, want- yeah definitely the the last two so Brandon we didn't get we talked about this but we didn't get to talk to you about it so real quick uh, and I'm, maybe you guys discuss this on garbage and the gold so uh, if if you have that in an episode then definitely plug that but uh, what are your thoughts on you know all the James Harden rumors and you know give us your opinion on you know what you would do if you do anything and then you know like a percentage you think that he actually could end up here. I think the percentage of him ending up here is between 20 and 25%. Okay. I think anything above that or below that would be a little reckless right now. Like at this moment in time, I think uh, they want to see what Simmons and Embiid have together under Doc Rivers. If it crashes and burns, maybe at the trade deadline, we see a blockbuster trade. Um as far as far as fit goes, I feel like people are undervaluing James Harden, which is pretty weird. Like this guy's one of the most prolific scorers in NBA history. Uh, under under a coach like Doc, I'm not a hundred percent sure that I'm very concerned about. Uh, his off the court antics. I know, like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are are exceptions because they're just weird but i feel like james like the james harden joel Embiid two-man game if you're trying to maximize the opportunity to win a championship it's simple as this james harden and joel Embiid give you a better opportunity to win a championship within the next three years than ben simmons and joel Embiid give the sixers to win a championship in the next three years and that's just my opinion because you don't know what joel Embiid's next three years are going to look like you don't know 
how his legs are going to hold up. We we see centers in this league not be able to last that long, and hopefully Joel will be able to play for five to ten more years in this city. But let's be realistic here. We want a title, and it would be a lot sweeter to win it with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Um, but, I mean, this is James Harden we're talking about. You, you don't turn down an opportunity to get James Harden. This is not Jimmy Butler. This is not Tobias Harris. This is James freaking Harden. And if you have to give up Ben Simmons to do it, it's going to be an extremely tough pill to swallow. But if it's not working out by you know, the trade deadline this year, I feel like you have to very much consider the option. I, I think you said that very well, considering that we, we were definitely on the opposite side for the most part, and that's not to downplay how how great James Harden is. I think a, a few quick things to what you said. My biggest thing is I agree that if you get James Harden, I think you have a better chance to win this year. And I think next year it is a better chance, but I would argue how much. I don't think it's like the next three years. One, you don't even know if he'd be here after two. And I'm really you know, worried about how he ages with, uh, one, looking at him right now, which I'm sure won't be that big a deal. And this probably being, you know, dramatized a little bit. But just the wear and tear on him, the, the extreme minutes he plays and how he already seems to fall off into the postseason uh, historically and repeatedly. I don't know that that gets any better as he moves later into his 30s. But I definitely think this year it gives you – the, the best chance the the one thing you said that scares me to death though is if they wait till like the deadline you know I just spent five minutes talking about chemistry and figuring it all out now James Harden yeah. will make a lot of that pretty easy I'm sure with with how much he just does on his own but if any if they were gonna make the move I would have rather them just you know rip the band-aid off and get it done and give them the season together I'm gonna be right. kind of pissed off if you know 20 games into this Ben Simmons leaves for James Harden I think that that's a really bad deal I mean I think every day you wait is is really bad because Again, James Harden's value is immediate. If you're going to do it, get him in here and get the value right away. You're going to lose the deal regardless because you always lose these deals, really. But every (laughs) day you wait, it gets worse because... Especially if he ends up opting out of a player option to go to Brooklyn. Yeah. The player option that he has is like $41 So I don't really foresee him leaving for for that. So I kind of think... to your point, if if we want to say the likelihood is twenty to twenty five percent, I think that's pretty a pretty good number. But not only do I think that the value decreases pretty significantly every day, I think the likelihood decreases significantly every day because I think there are more smart enough to see that that if you trade for him at the deadline, you're really getting a bad deal because now you're not getting two years of him. You're probably getting a year and a half at best, and two years seems bad to give up Ben Simmons for. But I. I understand anybody who wants to do it. One and a half is criminal. One is criminal. Like you're, you're definitely screwing yourself there. And and I can't see it. I guess so. like, I guess like, and I don't, I don't want to like drag this on by no, no, any means, fine. but I mean, it's clear like Joel Embiid is the best player on the team. It's not Ben Simmons. Right. Like it's just not. Agreed. And I love Ben Simmons. And, uh, you know, this is the overact reaction pod. So after tonight's preseason game, I would trade him for James Harden. If he comes back on Friday against the Pacers and looks really good, I'm probably not changing for James Harden, like trading him Fair. for James Harden. It's like a very back and forth battle with me because I love Ben Simmons and a championship would of be course. so sweet. But again, like there is truth to the cohesion of him and Ben. 
or him and Joel, Simmons and Embiid. They can be friends or whatever, but, you know, if the fit is clunky, the fit is clunky. Right. And, you know, if James Harden fixed that, then, you know, that's that's just kind of how it is and um, it would definitely be incredible to watch you have to wonder i know he doesn't have the same personality as jimmy butler but you have to wonder if james hard we've never seen james harden in a different uniform so you don't know like i guess i'm not sure how we can predict how he's going to act uh you know based on what he's doing now like if he's happier in another situation maybe he takes joella Embiid under his wings right. like jimmy butler did. And that could be a plus. So I, I just don't know. But right now, I'd do it. I don't know if that's going to be my answer tomorrow, though. Sure. That's definitely fair. The The last thing, real quick, uh, I did kind of mention it. And obviously, the biggest news of the day is Gianna signing uh, the biggest contract in NBA history and, and super maxing to stay in Milwaukee, which there's been tons of speculation for years now, whether he was going to go to a place like Toronto or New York or L.A., or anything like that. It appears that he is definitely staying in Milwaukee. He will be in the East. He will be uh, basically one of the Sixers' biggest rivals for what appears to be the majority of his career. The the funny, I guess maybe not funny, the, the craziest thing to think about that uh, I was watching around the horn today, and they said, even if he plays this entire contract out, he's still only 31 at the end of it. Wow. Like, he could still, if he doesn't win in Milwaukee, he's still going to have cashed in the biggest payday in NBA history and probably be able to get the biggest payday again and go somewhere and get a team built around him if he doesn't trust Milwaukee to do it. So, I mean, this guy's going to, he's going to be a problem. And you, you still have to expect him to get a little bit better uh, to really get there and you know put pressure on Milwaukee to put the right pieces around him, but just curious, your guys' thoughts on Milwaukee staying or on Giannis staying in Milwaukee? Uh, you know, like what it means for the league, what it means for Milwaukee, and and what it means for Giannis. So, I guess Steve, we'll start with you. I'm 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 kind of um, not as surprised as most people. Uh, I know there was this uh, you know all these rumors that he would go out to L.A. and ultimately succeed LeBron. Um, the one thing that's kind of using my, you know, like international relations experience or whatever you want to call it, that people almost forget that, you know, he's not American. He's from Greece. Um, and I just think there, there's a completely different thought process as far as where they're going. Uh, Milwaukee being a, you know, really small city and area. I've read that they have like a, you know, small tight-knit Greek community, and that's why a team like Toronto I thought would be a more realistic destination. And yeah, I always thought he was going to Toronto. Me too, and like I, I've been to Toronto, and we stayed in like the Greek part of town. I'm like, oh, wow, like this is really nice, and I could see the appeal here. And I know what I'm saying. Like some people may think that it's irrelevant, but to a guy like that, th those things are important because no matter where he's going, he's going to – be set for life. He's going to be making a lot of money and he's going to get the most of that staying in Milwaukee. Now, will he win a title? I don't know, but after those five years are up, he can go anywhere he wants. So Brandon. Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't really surprised. It's five years, 226 million. Like who, who turns that shit down? True. I mean, Devin Booker didn't know how the, Sons were going to build around him, and they got uh, CP3, and they have DeAndre Ayton, and they have a nice team there. He signed the Supermax, and is, I don't know how old he's going to be at the end of his, but he might be younger than Giannis. 
so, I mean, I'm not, I'll have to check the ages on that, but um, I'm of the thought process that due to like the injuries to Kevin Durant and like Kyrie being weird and Steph Curry being hurt and Clay Thompson being hurt uh, and LeBron not being at full strength, his first season with the Lakers have kind of put the magnifying glass on Giannis. And I think Giannis is a very, 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 very good basketball player, but I think he's a little bit overrated. I think he's extremely good, but I don't think he's like the next coming of LeBron or, or Michael Jordan oh, for or sure. anything like that. Yeah. Um, I, I, th- I, think, I think if Ben Simmons gained weight and was aggressive 99% of the time, he could be Giannis. That's fair, I think. It's crazy. It might be crazy to think, but I mean, that's pretty much what it is. Gian- Giannis is bulkier uh, and, and more aggressive, and Ben wouldn't even need to take those ugly, ugly three-pointers. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's good for Milwaukee. I think it's a city. I, I always like when players stay with the team that drafts them. That's, that's I, what I like, I like about story. this the most. That's honestly, like, it's funny. Like, Dwight Howard, I loved him when he was with the Magic. But then when he moved on, I was just like, eh, I wanted him to stay there. And I'm always of the, the thought process that if you stay with the team that you're with and win a title there, like, it's probably a little bit sweeter of a feeling. But, For sure. I mean, I'm excited to see the Embiid-Giannis battles or Embiid-Simmons battles, you know, moving forward. But, yeah, that's crazy. At 31, he could get another gigantic deal. Uh, if he doesn't win a title in Milwaukee, he can probably easily just go somewhere else for one of those maybe, like, two- or three-year deals that LeBron originally signed with the Lakers or something or when he went back to Cleveland for a year or two. Yeah, just sign those one and ones and do whatever you want and still make an insane amount of money. I, yeah, and I'm I'm very interested to see where Milwaukee ends up finishing in the standings. I think a lot of people still have them first, but I, I have Brooklyn finishing ahead of them. I'm not sure what you guys have them on, on your list. Yeah, I mean, the East is, is insane this year. I, I I actually think Miami could could win the East. Uh, I, I think I mean they're gonna return the same team back. They got a lot of young guys that that should just you know keep on going and and not really have any issue. They're gonna have good chemistry, uh, you know, having extended play in Orlando and everything. Uh, the Nets are the sleeper. Obviously, everything depends on how Durant looks. I've always been a huge Kevin Durant fan, and I'm 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 really cheering for him. But I fucking hate Kyrie Irving, and I'm just He's real. So- I'm really worried about Durant good. after the injury too. So I definitely wouldn't have them winning it because if we're going to talk about, you know, maybe Joel and Ben missing time, even the best case for Durant, I would bet you he misses, you know, 10 to 15 games just to get back into it and, and really be ready. So um, I, I think it's probably between Miami and Milwaukee. I think it'll be really close, but I could actually see Miami doing it just because they don't need yeah, one guy to Miami. do it. I think Miami gets worse. But. Really? I mean, mm-hmm. they could. I could see it. But I, I could also see them winning the East. I think if there's, if it's not Milwaukee, I think it's Miami. I think they're really the only two. I don't think the Nets will be able to put together. Like, the Nets could make it out of the playoffs and into the finals if they get it all right at the right time. But regular season number one seed, I, I think it's only really Milwaukee and Miami. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, I agree. And uh I feel like a lot of people are just assuming that like Steve Nash taking over that team is, is going to be easy. 
I mean, he has no coaching experience. Yeah. I, I mean, for I think it was two, maybe even three years before that, he was a soccer analyst on TNT. So, uh, you know, that's not to take away his career as a basketball player, but to just go into a situation like that where there's going to be all these expectations, you have two-star players with Kyrie and KD. I mean, it's a, it's going to be a really uh, tall task for, for a rookie coach. I, I don't care who you are. Yeah, I mean, they are they are the scenario to watch, especially with Gianna signing that deal. Like, there's really no more – there's not much more intrigue around Milwaukee now because that would have been a huge story all season, what he was going to do. He put that to bed, which is another, you know, kudos to him, I think, is, you know, making that decision now is huge because that really could have derailed this season for them if they spent all year figuring out what he was going to do and letting the results of this season, you know, factor into that decision – I, I think it's it's so good for that franchise to get that done and get to go into this season and, and put that to rest right away. Um, another huge benefit to that. But uh, Brooklyn is definitely like the place to watch this season, whether it be for Steve Nash coaching, to watch Durant if he can come back, to watch uh, if Kyrie Irving is a complete meltdown or gets back to being a, a top 10 player. Um, and you know how much noise they can really make. They're definitely going to be one of the more fun teams to pay attention to, whether it's good or bad. I always forget how good Kyrie is until I see him play, and I feel like I have not seen him play <laughs> in three years. He is so like he is so good. His handle's insane. He has the best handle I've ever seen so in stupid. the history of the NBA. Sounds so stupid with his comments and everything. Right. Yeah, he's an he's an absolute dimwit. But I guess I'm not worried about Steve Nash because like until I see that Irving and Durant, uh, like. Their their talent alone is like enough for me to think that they can run away with the East. And wow. maybe that's a bold predi- prediction. Maybe maybe Durant takes, you know, fifteen twenty games off or something like that. But I mean, they, I mean, they are two of uh, that. That's some crazy duo if they oh, are for healthy. Sure. For the of the but season. again, we know Kyrie's a head case and he'll have his slumps. And I don't trust Durant to yep. play really more than probably 75 to 80 percent of the game so i think that's what's going to hold them back i could definitely see them in the top four uh and obviously being maybe the biggest like once we get there they may end up being like the odds on favorite to win it that wouldn't surprise me at all but it's really hard to see them running through the east just like you know they'd they'd have to be fully healthy get the chemistry right away and steve nash is going to come have to come out as an amazing coach right off the bat i think all those things won't happen right away for sure with them but um you guys have anything else i mean i thought i thought we covered a lot here really really good conversation and again brandon really really appreciate you jumping on at literally like the last second yeah i appreciate you guys having me uh very excited for sixer season it, it was nice to it was nice to um it was nice to watch it again on the TV, and I, I enjoyed Tom McGinnis. I don't know if you got you guys got the NBC Sports feed or oh, the yeah. TNT. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, it's I'm sure a lot of people don't listen to the radio when it comes to Sixers games, but Tom McGinnis is like one of Philadelphia's radio gems. He's oh, yeah. so yeah. Good. Yeah, we, we definitely have a luxury in the city with our basketball broadcast, and just I know yeah. there's been a few times where I have to you know leave my house in the middle of a game and then you turn the radio and just to go from like, you know, zoom off to McGinnis, it's just like an easy transition. It's just, they're both really, really good in their own. Right. So, so two little quick things for me, one, uh, a fun fact and two, possibly a scorching hot take. Uh, one, I've been fortunate enough in my time covering the blue coats. Uh, Tom McGinnis has been down there uh, routinely 
doing doing calls for them as well. Uh, I don't know if it's on their Twitch or if it's on some affiliate radio, but he's done calls for them, and I've sat right behind him for several of those games, uh, covering him and getting to hear him in real time. And it's just an absolute treat, and um, he he is truly one of the best. And and I don't know if this is a hot take or not because. It seems I don't know if it's just tied into the negativity surrounding the team or not, or this has always been a thing. But I always thought that you know Merrill Reese was untouchable, but uh, I think Tom McGinnis is much better than Merrill Reese. Um, and I've been surprised to actually find out that it seems like a lot of people really either have soured on Merrill or didn't actually like him, which I did not think was the case. Really, I'm not saying I don't like Merrill by any means. I love Merrill, but I do think Tom McGinnis is, is a better uh, play-by-play guy. Hmm. I mean, yeah, what... I, I mean, I agree with you. I think uh, I think Merrill is just like a classic voice that we've all just come to to love. I have not met anybody that doesn't like him. And, and now that the Eagles started doing like tape of him calling shit in the in the press box for like big plays like that. That that's one of my favorite parts of watching win recaps. And we haven't had too many of those this <laughs> yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think yeah, I love seeing him in the like, booth. Tom McGinnis is good. Um, Fly like the Flyers radio guy, Tim Saunders. I mean, he's phenomenal. Tim Saunders is incredible. Yeah, yeah. I think. I, I mean, I, I think it's a little crazy to say that he's overrated, but I think there is some sort of effect Mike Quick has on him because sometimes Mike Quick just says things, and you're like, "Wait, what the hell did no, he just I like, say?" I like Mike I just, Quick. Like he he's not like horrible or really bad, but he's also not you know the the best. Uh, I think color I th- guy either. So well, no, but I think I think he does a really good job playing off Merrill Reese because he he's a little bit funny, but he pretty much lets Merrill have free reign, which obviously you're not going to yeah. try to take the spotlight. But he seems pretty funny. He does have uh, a lot of good insight usually, and he definitely brings like the former player side to it which i appreciate so i i, th- I think that's good and i think this the, is a whole tangent <laughs> yeah and, and the whole thing that's impressive to me with todd mcginnis is he for the longest time he's always done the games by himself he hasn't had anyone yeah. else um now i think i think we're going back like 12 years ago he did have for one or two seasons todd mcculloch has a color guy on oh, the no. radio yeah oh, and yeah. i was that. just so when i saw him on a tv i'm like i wonder how he's going to adjust from being the guy to all of a sudden uh, doing it with Al Abdul Nabi, and it was just seamless transition. Like it, it's like they've been doing it for a long time. Oh yeah, because Allah is fucking great too. Yeah, I, I, lo- I yeah I love them both. So. Allah is definitely the best color guy in, in the city. Yeah, I'm just trying to go through them in my the, head. The, the only the only Jeff, thing I I have left is um. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Steve. Sorry, you, you cut out, Brandon. Um, the only thing I have left is: Do you think Daryl Morey uh, texted? that uh, James Harden picture from Twitter to whoever's the GM of Houston now and be like three first round picks. Really? If anything, I think <laughs> like he probably sent it to Sam. Hankey. Yeah. Ja- yeah. J- James Harden definitely uh, ate some of his trade value tonight. Yeah. I think, I don't know what it was like. Maybe he was wearing a couple hoodies under that because I've been watching the game a little bit. Um, it just ended a little while ago, uh, but he definitely was not that thick. I think he it was this thick workout gear. Yeah, because I saw I saw um, like highlights or or some videos of him showing up to like Houston's practice, and he looked fine. He actually looked fairly thin. Um, yeah. So there's definitely something going on in that picture, but nonetheless, it was fun. Yeah, and as a fat guy, I can speak to red is not a good color. Oh no! So not at all. I, I mean, if if he was wearing all black, it probably would have right. you know looked 
Yeah, it makes me look like the Kool-Aid man. Yeah. It's not great. I do have one last thing, like last thing for real. I know we were talking about broadcast teams. I just want to say I was not like a huge fan of her when she first came to the Sixers. But I have to say I did miss Serena Winters tonight. Like I missed her energy. I think my biggest my biggest thing with her was I really liked Molly Sullivan and I definitely probably took a little bit of her leaving out on uh, Serena, but eventually Serena won me over and then some. Uh, I think she was actually significantly better than Molly Sullivan uh, once I got past you know just getting used to the switch and it. I, I was at a loss for words when they let her go because I, I I understand you know tough times and making cuts, but there had to have been other ways to do that than to get rid of her because she was always incredible, uh, did a really great job, and you know I I, I don't remember where she at, ended up, but uh, you know uh, she's not going to have any problem getting work at any point, and uh, I did really really enjoy her time here. So, Brandon, uh, again, make sure uh, let everybody know where they can find you and Garbage into Gold going forward, especially now that we're back in the full swing of Sixer season. I'm sure people are going to be eating up content. So, Yeah, uh, we are on Twitter at Garbage into Gold. It's spelled exactly as it sounds. Um, you can find me on Twitter at BAPTER23, and the podcast is also on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all of your favorite podcast platforms. Uh, we have some merch available at phlsportsnation.com if you want to uh, uh, if you if you want to go over there and listen to our pod and decide that you want a sweatshirt with our logo on it, like go for it. Nice. Are you gonna get the uh, the filthy nasty whatever shirt made up? Like I said, because yeah, I, uh, I, I buy need to that. Talk to management about getting that okay. filthy. Filthy, nasty, sick. Oh, shirt. that's it. Yeah, Maxie's adorable face. On I'd, it. I'd wear the hell out of that. Oh uh, yeah, but yeah. Thanks again for for having me on the uh, the pod. Yeah, it's been no, no problem, man. We really appreciate it. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Now that the season is is really full bore, um, we'll definitely be back and way more active and trying to at least do an episode a week, if not, definitely trying to get two in there and making sure that we're on top of the games and everything. So, been a tough. Summer and off-season COVID, all that stuff, but uh, really excited to get back to it. We're just in the in the beginning of our third year now and really hoping that we can make a uh, a big leap. We can't do it without everybody who has been a, a loyal and dedicated listener, and we appreciate it. And we can't do it without awesome guests like Brandon coming on and, and really enhancing the podcast experience. So, again, make sure you check out Garbage in the Gold. Give them a follow. Give Brandon a follow, all that stuff. Again, thanks, Brandon, for coming on. For of Steve, I'm Fire Dan. Brown. <laughs> For Steve, I'm Dan. Thanks, everybody, and trust the podcast. <laughs>